0: We started this podcast as a simple commitment between Casper and me. Once a week, we would sit in a room and treat Harry Potter as sacred, even if no one showed up. Now, we have 70,000 listeners we never could have imagined. We also now have Maggie, who makes sure that all of our local groups feel supported. We have Megan, who makes sure that we behave with integrity in the world. We have Chelsea, who produces the women of Harry Potter. And we have Ariana, who makes sure that every episode, every live show, everything we put out into the world is done to the highest possible standard. We make sure that we pay all of them a living wage. We are trying to be the change we want to see in the world. We are trying to only use fair trade merchandise products to give health care to all of our employees and paid time off. We are trying to save in order to plant a tree for every flight that we take. And we cannot be the company that every company should be without your support. With 70,000 listeners and 1,300 supporters on Patreon, that means that 2% of you support us on Patreon, and we are so grateful for your support, but we want to make it 3% of our listeners who support us on Patreon, which would mean 2,100 supporters. For $1 a month, you get an extra few minutes of bloopers. That's $1 a month for the feeling of being in the top 3% of our listeners. That level of success would even make Hermione happy. So join us, be part of the top 3%. Join Casper and me in that room that gets more and more filled the more of you show up. We are so grateful that you are part of this community. I'd have sat in that room with Casper alone gladly, but I love having you here.
1: Chapter 8. The Death Day Party. October arrived, spreading a damp chill over the grounds and into the castle. Madame Pomfrey the matron was kept busy by a sudden spate of colds among the staff and students. Her pepper-up potion worked instantly. I'm Casper Kyle,
0: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
0: As anyone who lives in a small community knows, the people who you see every day really become a part of your family. They know when you're sick. They know when you know you have an exam, whatever it is. And so, I pick up my mail at a mail room in Harvard Yard, and I've become pretty close friends with most of the staff in the mail room. And after a couple of months of living on campus, the Boston Marathon bombing happened. And obviously, there was a very strong reaction and a lot of concern and sadness on Harvard's campus after the Marathon bombing. And after a couple of days, a rumor started circulating that one of the mailroom staff had been at the finish line and had been severely injured in the attack. And obviously, this was very distressing to everybody who was a part of this community. This man was very important to all of us. And so, for days, there was just growing concern, and students were asking some authority figures, but due to privacy, there were evasive answers, which just fed the rumor. And then, after a few more days, this person, this male room person, just came back. And it turns out that he was on vacation visiting his family abroad. And there was a collective amount of absolute relief. But I was really curious as to why this rumor started. Because assuming that somebody was missing because of a bomb attack, you know, it was a dramatic response. And I think it was incredibly well intended. I think that the students were having a very strong emotional response to the fact that so many people were attacked while trying to do something really beautiful, being a part of the Boston Marathon. And by knowing somebody who had been attacked, they... Could justify better their emotional response, and I think that there there is something very understandable and very human about that they weren 't wishing harm upon him it 's not like they were hoping for an extra injury, so there was nothing like gross or macabre in what they wanted, but I think on some level they wanted a finite justification as to why they were so upset and it, it was too abstract if it was all strangers. And I thought about that in reading this chapter with, you know, there are all sorts of rumors around filch and there are rumors about which ghosts are scary and which ones aren't. And I wonder if a lot of what's going on with rumors is actually that we're just trying to make sense of the world and thinking out loud about potential possibilities. And so I'm excited to talk about rumors with you this week, Casper.
1: That's such a cool idea that rumors are a way of expressing our care. You know, or at least it's an uncertainty and we're we're trying to connect with something. That's a really interesting idea. So I look forward to diving into that together, Vanessa.
0: I obviously don't think all rumors are a good thing or fall into this category. But I think that they're more complicated than we often give them credit for.
1: You know what else I don't get enough credit for? Winning all the 30-second recaps so far.
0: So that's actually not true. You are getting a lot of credit for it. I checked the score this morning, and Casper is beating me. He has 75% of the votes, and I have 25% of Victory the votes. Victory is fine. So I would just like to say that the dynamic has swapped, and I am now your underdog, people. <laughs> I'm
1: the top dog.
0: Not for long. You go first today, so.
1: I'm going to show you how it's done.
0: On your mark. Get set, go.
1: So it's rainy and it's nearly Halloween and it's cold outside and Harry's uh, having to do more Quidditch practice and he comes in and it's all muddy and he sees nearly headless Nick and they have a nice little chat and then Filch finds him and it's muddy and he's like, you must be punished and he takes him to his thing, to the room where there's chains and then um, Filch is going to punish him and there's lots of files on uh, the Weasleys but then suddenly there's noise outside and a cabinet is broken and Filch goes outside and um, then he escapes. Harry gets let off because he sees the quick spell. Oh my God, there's so much more that happens to death day party and then Okay, that was a car crash. But it's maybe going to give you a chance to catch up, Vanessa.
0: Oh, do you not pretend that this is pity or generosity?
1: It's really a gift, you just, gift to shut you. Shut up.
0: No, no. You just did poorly. It's fine. I love you. Okay.
1: You ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one, go.
0: Harry gets in trouble for making a mess and has to go to Filch, but Nearly Headless Nick helps him get out of trouble, but not before he finds out that Filch might be a squib, which we learn about later. Nearly Headless Nick invites him to the death day party. Harry, Hermione, and Ron go to the death day party, and then they're leaving, and they hear a voice. And so they go up, and they see that that Mrs. Norris has been petrified, and they hear a voice saying that they're going to, like, kill a lot of people. And there's a, a message written on the wall that the Chamber of Secrets has been open. And that's it.
1: Wow. That That was was pretty good. I'm
0: back, folks. I'm back. Okay, so can people vote for me now? (laughs) Come on. No. Ten points to Hufflepuff. That means vote ten times. (laughs) For me. For me.
1: So, Vanessa, we've got the theme of rumors for this week. Where do you see that showing up in this chapter?
0: I have a lot of questions around filch and rumors. Mm. So, there seems to be this rumor that filch wants to torture students and he's very committed to this theory you know he has chains in his office and he keeps very meticulous records as to who has harmed him and he certainly seems to be a very punitively inclined man and i'm wondering if in order to avoid the rumor that he's a squib a non-magical person who's born into a wizarding family, so sort of the opposite of a muggle-born, he's instead sort of playing up this theory that he is powerful in this way. Do you think that that's a rumor? Do you think that he actually wants to torture students?
1: That's so interesting because we never see him torture a student. I mean, that would be an incredibly smart move by Filch in one way to deflect that attention.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if this is an example of – the relationship between rumors and propaganda. So we tend to think of propaganda as coming from the state to some extent. A famous example of propaganda is that famous statue of the men in World War II raising the flag at Iwo Jima. And I'll admit that it is a statue that really speaks to me. It's really beautiful. But now we know that it was at minimum a staged photo. And so there's, you know, it's... It's absolute propaganda. And it's propaganda that even though I know it's propaganda still sort of works for me and, you know, makes me feel a sense of patriotism. And so I'm wondering where we see the difference between rumors and propaganda, because there is always some intention behind why you spread a rumor.
1: And I think rumors spread best and furthest when they are really specific. And the cool thing about rumors is that it can grow and change and like mold into new shapes to best fit a new environment. The way a rumor spreads is that There's a little creative license every time it's passed on from one person to another. While propaganda is often the same thing, just repeated far and wide, you know, whether it's through a TV screen or a poster that's repeated. There's less opportunity for that kind of co-creative element that there is in a rumor where you can say, well, not only are there chains, but, you know, he likes to cover your head in peanut butter or whatever it is. Um, I don't think that's actually in the text, listeners. but
0: (laughs) It's apocrypha. Yes, but I do think that one of the ways in which what Filch is doing, if this is untrue, if he is trying to spread this rumor about himself that he wants to hang students by chains, is that there is a political motive for it. He has a deep, clear motive, which is to hide the fact that he's a squib. And that's what seems to straddle the rumor propaganda line for me is that often rumors, like in the story I was telling, they don't have a clear motive. You're trying to work something out. You're a little bit jealous. So you spread a rumor about someone that could be true based on very little data. But there's a Venn diagram of propaganda and rumor. And I think it overlaps when the motive for why you are repeating something over and over again is very clear. It's, I am spreading this rumor so... Is that a decent theory of when it becomes propaganda?
1: Yeah, I think that works well. And of course, we know that Harry, as soon as he's left Filcher's office where he saw that quick spell kind of information packet, which is all about how to learn spells even when you're struggling, you know, which suggests to us that he's a squib. Uh, as soon as he enters the common room, the first thing he wants to do is tell Ron and Hermione about this information that he's learned. And that's not coming from a place of wanting to destroy Filch or usurp, you know, his power. He's just found out something interesting and he cares about these two good friends. And it doesn't feel like he's breathing a word to anyone, to him, because, hey, they're just Ron and Hermione, which is, of course, how rumors spread, right? goes from one trusted relationship to another, and so it doesn't feel like it has that propaganda edge to it in the way that you described. I, I like that difference. I think that's I think that's helpful.
0: And I think that you just articulated where gossip and rumors switch, which is the one trusted relationship to another. I think that it's still a rumor if you sort of in good faith are telling someone who you trust, and then it switches to gossip when you're sort of just telling anybody who you don't necessarily have a relationship with. And then in Judaism, the line of when something becomes gossip is if you are sharing the information for the sake of entertainment. And I think it can stay a rumor when it's about something other than just for the sake of entertainment.
1: Yeah, that entertainment thing is so true. I mean, it reminds me of this great quote by Alice Roosevelt Longworth, where she says, if you haven't got anything nice to say about anybody, come sit next to me.
0: (laughs) Which is also in Steel Magnolias, the best movie ever. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quip's Electric Toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth ...and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Harry Potter right now... ...you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Harry Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree... And I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. Now, I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning, non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter.
1: Vanessa, I'm thinking that, you know, Even in our friendship, we've had a couple situations where maybe you've had some information that you've shared with me and you were very sweet to say, you know, please don't share this with anyone, but please feel free to share it with your husband, you know, as long as he keeps it just between the two of you. And I thought that was such a generous way to think about And in that case, it wasn't a rumor, but it was a secret. And it was important for you to feel like there was a clear boundary on who could know. And you helped me by being really clear about, actually, this is okay, but this is not okay. And I think rumors happen when we don't know where that boundary is, because then – well, you know, my best friend is definitely close to me, so that's no different. But, well, my aunt is also close. You know, and suddenly that boundary is stretching and stretching and suddenly the whole school knows. Um, so Your I'm, aunt
0: goes to school at the end?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. she stayed behind in class lots of times.
0: What I often justify, which is terrible, is I will tell a secret to my best friend because she lives in Arizona and she doesn't know any of the same people I know. And But I wonder... I wonder if that's actually a bad thing, because I feel like I tell her when something is emotionally weighing on me. So it's, you know, oh, this friend is really struggling with, you know, she's, I think she has postpartum depression, but I don't really want to talk to her about it. And I just feel awful all the time about it. And I don't know how to be a good friend. And I intentionally tell Kim, who's 2,000 miles away, to like help me think it through Because she doesn't know my friends out here in Boston. And so it's like we so hold on to these bonds of secrecy and something wonderful can happen when we break them. And I think that we see that in this chapter when – If Filch was able to talk to someone about the fact that he felt like a squib, I feel like somebody might be able to point out to him that he actually has a magical relationship with Mrs. Norris. He's not a totally non-magical person, right? And so I I feel like sometimes by being a little vulnerable and oversharing a secret, you might invite in some real positive lessons.
1: What you're also reminding me of, and this really relates to your story that you started with, Vanessa, is that so often what those rumors are about are things that we are ashamed of, things that we don't want to share publicly because in some way we're worried that it'll hurt us or that people will think less of us in some way.
0: Yes. I feel like sometimes we gossip or spread rumors because we don't feel entitled to the emotions that we're having. So it's, well, I don't actually know anyone who was hurt in the Boston Marathon bombing. So why am I so upset? And so we spread these rumors in order to try to work that out. Or if a friend of mine is going through a depression, I'm not supposed to feel sad about that. They're the ones going through the depression. But of course I'm worried about them. And of course I'm concerned. And of course I want to reach out to other people and other resources in order to figure out how I can be a good friend. And I think that shame makes us all more silent. So we end up sort of telling lies in order to talk about these things without talking about these things. It becomes so complicated so quickly.
1: And it gives us something to say. I think this is something that we actually see in this chapter as well, that rumors are in some way a vehicle for a relationship. There's this great moment. This is the only time we actually see the word rumor in the chapter where... The students are talking and the chapter tells us there were rumors that Dumbledore had booked a troupe of dancing skeletons for the entertainment at the Halloween Ball. Now, where did that come from? I can promise you there was no press release that someone discovered, right? This is just students getting imaginative and like hoping and then it turns into, well, I heard that so-and-so overheard that, whatever. And it's just a way of helping people get excited about something that they're about to experience together or to make sense of an experience that they're about to have together. And I think so much of rumor Is we want to communicate with one another and there isn't always that much to say. So let's get creative, you know? And in that case, fine, dancing skeletons doesn't hurt anyone. I think we have to remember that in communities, half the time, rumor and perhaps even gossip are are mechanisms that sustain relationships in one way or another, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. It's a way of creating intimacy. I think you're in my inner circle. You're somebody who I'm going to tell this secret to.
1: And especially, can you imagine how bored these ghosts must be, right? We have the 500th death day party for these ghosts. How are they going to keep themselves interested? This is the same cast of characters every year for everyone's birthday. You better hope there's some rumors. (laughs) I mean, just for example, like at the death day party, Hermione is kind of moaning about moaning Myrtle, how annoying she is, how the bathroom's always flooded, you know, and Peeves is right behind her and overhears it and then says, I heard you were talking about poor Myrtle. Rude you was. And then he immediately calls over Myrtle to stir that rumor mill and Myrtle's really upset. and. You know, in some ways, maybe we've been a little easy on the rumor mill, as it were. And I here we see someone who's really injured.
0: Oh, absolutely. And there is a keen awareness of the ways in which rumors are dangerous. First of all, if rumors are usually dangerous. I mean, it's been fun to complicate the idea of rumors, but... Walking around with untruths means that you start making decisions based on sort of this half-truth that you have, and it propagates all sorts of things. And, you know, rumors have been used strategically to subjugate other people, right? I mean, there are rumors that are so deeply harmful to society, and that needs to be stated. And Ron has a really keen awareness of that. On the very last page of the chapter, right when Ron, Hermione, and Harry get caught at a scene of a crime where Mrs. Norris has been petrified and there's the writing on the wall, the chamber of the secrets has been opened, enemies of the air beware – Harry says, shouldn't we try to help? And Ron says, trust me, we don't want to be found here. They didn't do anything wrong. They were actually searching out to try to be helpful. But Ron is immediately aware that if they are going to get caught, rumors are going to spread about what they were actually doing. And they're going to get caught in this vicious cycle of retribution for something when they didn't do anything wrong. So there is a very keen awareness in this chapter of the potential detrimental impact of rumors.
1: Yes. And if you think about it, Ron is right to be scared. I mean, he has already had such an eventful semester. I mean, we're only at Halloween, people. And already Ron is like suffering. And he's like, I don't need another rumor about me, whether it's going to get home in some way to my parents who are going to be mad at me, whether it's going to be my older brother who thinks I'm a total failure. You know, he, he wants to keep control of his story as much as he can. Because he, in some ways, rumors are just stories that we create to make sense of data that we have, you know, individual things that we've heard or experiences that we've had. We create a narrative around them. And I think when a rumor becomes dangerous, it's when we're no longer in control of the story about ourselves. you know, when someone else has control of that. Does that make sense to you?
0: That makes sense. And I do think intention is part of it because a rumor becomes even more dangerous when Sort of the intention of the rumor spreader is...
1: Is to do you harm.
0: Yeah, is to do you harm or only to do themselves well, where you become instrumentalized in the rumor spreader's goals. So
1: what about Nearly Headless Nick? Because he tries to spread a rumor.
0: Yeah, he tries to spread a rumor that he's scary. He asks Harry explicitly to tell the head of the Headless Hunt that he is scary because he wants to join the Headless Hunt, which... He's called nearly headless Nick for a reason. He He ain't headless. He's not headless. He can't juggle his head because his head is attached. Even just by half an inch of sinew and skin, it's attached.
1: Sorry, Nick. Sorry, you can't can't play polo with us today. You could play like flip-flop games, but no polo.
0: I mean, the fact that he's still trying to spread this rumor shows us that he has not accepted himself for who he is. Let it
1: go, Nick. It's been 500 years.
0: (laughs) You're only nearly headless. And that's okay. You have tricks. The Gryffindors love you. And what we love about Nick is that he's not a scary ghost. He protects Harry from getting into trouble with Filch for just having muddy shoes. So why does a nearly headless Nick sort of lean into the guy he is, which is, you know, somebody who can flip over his head to entertain the students and who's created a real strong rapport with Gryffindors? I think that we see something really sad in the fact that he's trying to spread this rumor about himself in order to try to join a group that he doesn't belong in.
1: Vanessa I'm suddenly seeing a connection between so many of the characters we've talked about both with Filch who you know is almost a wizard with Nearly Headless Nick who is almost part of that headless crew and Ron who is you know almost famous all of them are kind of impacted by rumors about them or or are trying to create narratives about themselves to try and change how other people think of them it's just i guess something we all live with in some way is We're all worried about what people think of us.
0: And I think that that is why rumors are mostly a negative thing. Even when they are trying to figure something out, whenever there's a rumor, it is pointing to the fact that something is missing. A key piece of information is missing, the ability to publicly mourn is missing, a sense of identity is missing. Rumors are sort of the junk food conversational tool. It's like a comfort food. It's not really giving you anything, any nutrients, anything sustaining, but sometimes it's the only thing that you want to reach for and the only thing, you know, if you're on a road trip, it's the only thing available to you. So I feel like they always point to something sad, to a lack of something more substantial.
1: Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice of the week. And once again, we are doing our sacred imagination practice where we follow the guidance of St. Ignatius, who invited us to imagine ourselves into the gospel stories. And I've picked out a passage, and I want you to imagine that you are wrong. So we're towards the end of the chapter, and Harry has heard this voice again. So if you will close your eyes unless you're driving, walking, or cycling – or cooking, and just imagine yourself into this situation as Ron. Harry strained his ears. Distantly from the floor above and growing fainter still, he heard the voice. I smell blood. I smell blood. His stomach lurched. It's going to kill someone, he shouted. And ignoring Ron and Hermione's bewildered faces, he ran up the next flight of steps three at a time, trying to listen over his own pounding footsteps. Harry hurtled around the whole of the second floor, Ron and Hermione panting behind him, not stopping until they turned the corner into the last deserted passage. Harry, what was that all about? said Ron, wiping sweat off his face. I couldn't hear anything. But Hermione gave a sudden gasp, pointing down the corridor, look. What did you notice as Ron in that moment?
0: What I noticed was the total faith that Ron has to have in Harry to not just be like, ugh, Harry and his shenanigans again, right? He follows Harry and then he asks very sincerely and with a lot of curiosity, what was that all about, I mean, the loyalty in Ron is so profound that he just completely believes that Harry isn't doing this for attention. Or I think I would be quite exasperated by a friend who's like, I hear something that nobody else can, and like starts running up the stairs. And but instead, Ron just completely believes. Harry, and how beautiful that is. He's concerned, he's looking at him bewildered, and then he follows him up the stairs so quickly that he's sweating. So yeah, what really struck me was just the profound empathy, kindness, and trust that Ron has in Harry.
1: It strikes me how separate Harry and Ron's experiences are here You know, in the first book, certainly, you know, Harry had his own adventures. You know, he first discovered the Mirror of said He's the one who has to face Voldemort slash Quirrell at the very end of that adventure. But throughout, he and Ron and Hermione, for, for a large extent, share that adventure. And they share the information that they have. And Harry's bringing Ron to the Mirror to try and share his experience. And here, he cannot hear the voice. He doesn't have access to the experience that Harry's having. And so... You know, I love what you're saying about the faith that Ron has in Harry because it's not logical at this point. And in fact, Harry hearing voices is profoundly weird and frightening. And yet, you know, he's running after him in full tilt and hes he still wants to be part of it. He's asking Harry questions, what was that all about? Like, I want to be with you in this. And I think that shows such courage and such deep friendship, you know, because this is not fun. It's going to kill someone, Harry says. So they're running into danger headlong. And for Harry, you know, at least he can hear something. But for the others, they're running into something completely without any contextual information, which is profound.
0: It reminds me of a lesson that I was taught during my clinical pastoral education training at a hospital. We we had a mental health wing in the emergency room, and what you were supposed to do was validate the experiences of others, but if asked explicitly say, "I am not having the same experience, but I believe you that you are." And In doing chaplaincy with somebody who is having mental health issues, you're not supposed to try to figure out what's true and what's not true because all of it is real for them. And so it's really just reminding me of the way that you get trained to be a chaplain. You know, it's even if you can't hear something, even if you sort of on a guttural level know something's not true, you're supposed to check that and just be there with the other person. Because being there with the other person is the thing that matters. And what is and isn't true is to some extent irrelevant.
1: I love this. Like, we need a textbook on how to be a chaplain by Ronald Weasley. Ron is being a chaplain right now while he's running through the second floor. That's amazing. Can I ask you, what do we learn about rumors having just engaged in this spiritual practice? Like, what have we learned from imagining ourselves into Ron in this moment about the nature of rumors or how they start, how they catch fire?
0: I think that... What it's made me think about is that when you entirely and truly empathize with somebody else, you don't have the desire to spread a rumor or to make sense of it externally. Your empathy is so entirely involved that it's almost as if the story is complete. And if what we said about rumors is true, that it's when you're trying to make sense of partial information or you're trying to build relationships on the outside, then, you know, what Ron and Harry have is complete. And so even though there's a great mystery at the heart of what happened, there isn't partial information. Everything has been communicated. And so there's no sort of psychological or emotional reason for Ron to start spreading a rumor about this.
1: Thank you, Vanessa. I love that. Really, really love that.
0: Thank you. This was a really fun passage to imagine ourselves into. This week's voice memo is from Antonia Aguilera.
2: Hi guys, my name is Antonia Aguilera. I'm calling from Santiago, Chile. Um, I just listened to chapter six of book two, and I wanted to touch on two subjects. Uh, First, uh, about how Molly and Hermione are attracted to Lockhart in different ways. Besides their age and the fact that they're completely two different people, I think the attraction towards Lockhart comes from a different place. On one side, for Hermione, uh, of course, he's a successful, handsome, grown man. But also, for her, Lockhart is uh, a successful academic. He's written a bunch of books, uh, traveled uh, throughout the world, made discoveries. And now he's also a professor of Hogwarts, which shows uh, that... Even for her crushes, Hermione's priority at this point is still brains and smart. Uh, while for Molly, he's this really hot guy who is sort of an ideal man that not only is handsome and charming but also is interested in this very traditional wife uh, tasks like cleaning the garden and de and stuff like that. Um, Another thing I wanted to touch on is about why I think Lockhart is so attracted to Harry I think it's all about envy and validation because we later on find out that Lockhart is a complete failure he's a scam, he hasn't done anything that he claims to have done and I think he looks for Harry because he needs his fame and success to be validated next to this kid who has a legitimate fame and a legitimate success and also Lockhart has worked really hard to build this facade of this uh, smart, adventurous man, while Harry has really done nothing to be famous and Harry is way more famous than Lockhart. So yeah, I think that's why Lockhart is continuously looking for Harry and taking pictures with him and talking with him and being close proximity to him because being with Harry validates his own fame and that also talks about how insecure Lockhart is. That's my input on the subject. Thanks guys for doing this amazing podcast and uh, have a nice week!
1: Antonia, I love that idea. I think it's so awesome. And I think Hermione is just the best for having like an intellectual crush, or she just really likes turquoise. Both reasons are super valid. But what I really appreciate you for is drawing our attention to the different reasons why people are attracted to Lockhart. But for anyone, you know, there's so many different factors at play and how the validation of his own hunger for fame is one of the reasons why Lockhart is attracted to Harry. Brilliant. Beautiful. Thank you for sending that in.
0: So, Casper, now is time for us to offer some blessings. Who would you like to bless this week?
1: My blessing today is for nearly headless Nick, or as I should call him, Sir Nicholas de Mimsey Paulpington. You know, we've talked a lot about how much Harry has to suffer and struggle. And it struck me that, nearly headless nick is the first person who asks harry how he's doing and even in the midst of his own sadness you know he hasn't been allowed to join the headless hunt again he still has space to ask harry how he's doing and gives him an invitation to a party even if it's got smelly fish and you know haggis that's disintegrating I just really appreciate Nearly Headless Nick and anyone who makes time for other people, asks them how they're doing, checks in with them, and invites them to be part of their life in some way. So if you're reaching out to someone who's struggling and making space for them in your life, this blessing is for you. Who receives a blessing from you today?
0: My blessing is for Moaning Myrtle, who is Comic relief in the novels, off and on, but there's something profound in her, which is that she is someone who is perpetually stuck in a depression. She was clearly depressed when she died, and because ghosts stay in the state that they were in when they died forever, this is just now the way that she has to go through the rest of her existence. And I think that that tells us something about depression that when you're in it it feels like it's going to go on for eternity and so my blessing is for people who are going through a depression now and you know encouraging you unless you are a ghost like moaning myrtle there is hope to get help and to get to the other side of the depression just like good things pass this too shall pass and there is another side to depression so this blessing is for you.
1: Bye. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we'll read Chapter 9, The Writing on the Wall, through the theme of innocence.
0: For more information about our presentation at NerdCon and on Facebook Live, go to our website, HarryPotterSacredText.com. Also, please subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, and email us your voice memos at Text at gmail. Email.com.
1: This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Arianna Nedelman, me, Kasper Kyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll. And Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is part of the Panoply Network. You'll find ours and other great shows at panoply.fm.
0: This week, we would like to thank Antonia Aguilera for her voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, and Stephanie Paulsell. We'll see you next week.
1: Oh, I have something to add. Antonia, you're a genie in a bottle.
0: No. The best song is definitely, you are beautiful oh, in a single way. Words can, can
1: bring, bring me, me down.
0: down. Uh, hey, everybody. This is Drew. I, I make a Sleep With Me podcast. We're part of Night Vale Presents. And Sleep With Me is a bedtime story podcast for grown-ups. So if you're looking for something fun to listen to as you get ready for bed or you need a little extra help falling asleep, someone to take your mind off of stuff, just like calling up a goofy friend and saying, hey, tell me a story or putting on some old sitcom on on Netflix or something. It's kind of what Sleep With Me aspires to be. It's a little bit goofier and weirder, uh, but it's also a whole lot more fun. You can find it here at Night Vale Presents or uh, just open up your podcast app and search for Sleep With Me and you'll find it there and subscribe and check it out. Thanks.